0: S. E. P. Fanfic Readings presents Aurelian by Biddy Blue Eyes. Chapter 10 Tears, Explanations, and Laughter. Hermione? Harry called uncertainly when he heard a small sob from the kitchen. He glanced at Malfoy and stood up. Hermione? he called again as he entered the kitchen and slowly walked over to the table. You all right? Hermione nodded and stifled another small sob. Yeah. I just it's just too much. Yeah, Harry agreed sadly. Harry, I'm so sorry. Hermione's outburst took Harry completely by surprise. For what? It was my fault. Twice. Twice I could have killed her, and I didn't, she cried wretchedly. You, Luna, Fred, Malfoy, you wouldn't have died if it weren't for me. Draco looked up when he overheard Hermione speak and listened closely to the rest of the conversation. Hermione, that's ridiculous, Harry said in disbelief. It wasn't her fault. She did everything she could. I'm sure I would have made all of the same decisions myself. She didn't do anything wrong. Nothing was her fault, and even less your fault. You had nothing to do with any of it. She's me, Harry, she reminded him. Yes, she's you, but you're not her. You didn't make any of those decisions. And even if you did, there were no bad decisions. So stop, Harry insisted. You can't take credit for any of that. But if you're going to try and take credit for anything, then take credit for saving everyone. It was her that sent Aurelian back here. It's because of that decision that none of those people are going to have to die at all. Hermione nodded while trying to restrain her tears. No, don't just nod. I want you to really believe it, Harry pressed. Hermione nodded again. I know. You're right. I'm sorry. You can go back in the living room. I'll get the— No, I'll get the tea. You just sit down for a minute, offered Harry. No, it's fine. I can— Sit, Harry commanded. Hermione snorted a small chuckle and obediently stayed sitting while Harry moved about the kitchen. Harry had grown so much over the years that it never failed to surprise her. When she looked at him, she could still remember the small eleven-year-old boy with a bit of an attitude, a streak of defiance, and a thirst to prove himself. That boy was now twenty years old and had become a steady and patient leader. Well, not always patient, but he had improved on that a lot. He no longer felt the need to prove himself, and his streak of defiance had morphed into a desperate desire to pursue justice. He was just strong and commanding in a way that people truly respected. Sugar, sugar, Harry chanted as he spun around looking for the sugar bowl. Hermione stood up and walked to the counter behind him. She reached past his arm and placed the sugar bowl on the tray. You set it down near the toaster. I knew that, he joked. Hermione smiled softly and walked with Harry back into the living room. Sorry about that, Hermione apologized to Malfoy. No, it's all right, he replied. Hermione looked at him curiously. She had expected him to either say something cocky or derisive, or say nothing, but he hadn't said a single cutting thing the entire day. Well, with the exception of being uptight with her earlier in the day about not being able to see Aurelian, she quickly pushed the thought aside. She had enough to think about without adding that to it. "'So, where do we start?' Harry asked. "'Pansy,' Draco answered. "'If we're right in thinking that she was killed and it was her blood on my wall when I was attacked, then she was the first known victim in this whole thing.' Hermione and Harry were rather surprised that Malfoy spoke up so quickly. They hadn't expected him to participate as easily as he had. "'I agree,' said Harry. "'She's where we should start, as she was the first victim, and the attack that occurred in the future really isn't that far away.' We need to find out why she was targeted and make sure we can prevent the attack. I think, said Hermione, that it might be her parents that are actually the targets. I mean, I have a feeling that Pansy might have been killed because of them. Or, Hermione looked at Draco curiously, how close are you to Pansy? We've been friends since we were small, Draco answered. We're still good friends, but we really don't see each other as often as we used to. Why? You don't think that anyone would hurt her thinking it could be to punish you? Hermione asked. No, Draco replied rather confidently. If they try to punish me by hurting someone close to me, then they'd choose my mother, or Zabini. I think you're right that it would probably be to punish Pansy's parents. Yes, especially considering that they're still targeted after Pansy has gone missing, Hermione reasoned. Are you close enough to Pansy that you could have a chat with her? Harry asked. Yeah, Draco nodded. I was thinking that I could ask her to join me for dinner. We could do some catching up and I could try to figure out what's happening. Good. Good, Harry said, lost in his thoughts. But you have to be careful when talking to her. You can't mention anything about... I know it's confidential, Potter. And I'm skilled at casually addressing topics to gather information, Draco assured him. Good, Harry repeated. Okay, so Malfoy will talk with Pansy. What's next? Hermione asked. Dennis, Harry answered. Hermione nodded as it was her thought exactly. He was the next target. Well, his parents were killed, so we must assume that it was him that they were targeting for punishment, since his parents are muggles and wouldn't otherwise be connected to the wizarding world. But what for? What would they want with Dennis? I don't know, Hermione said seriously. He seems like such a random target. I mean, not that the Parkinson's were ever involved with Death Eaters, but, well, as a prominent pureblood family, they're much more likely to be targeted. Dennis personally has nothing to do with the war which means that we might have somehow happened upon their recent business, Harry suggested. I think he's definitely the next step. We go and talk to him. We find out how he's been and what he's up to. Tomorrow, even. I don't like how little time we have until their big first move. The attack on Malfoy and Pansy. We have to get on this quickly. So, tomorrow morning, skipping the office once again, we visit the Creevy House. Unannounced? Draco inquired. Yes, Harry said. If something has happened already— He may be apprehensive to speak about it. He never comes to us in the future. He could feel threatened and try to come up with things to hide the truth. He's a good kid, but people don't always have the best judgment when they're scared. In my job, it's best to come unannounced. Draco nodded in understanding. Will you be joining us? Harry asked him. You mean you're giving me a choice? Draco asked. Don't I always? Harry replied. You're in this voluntarily. So long as you want to be involved, you're privy to all parts of this investigation. You have very little obligation at this point. The choice of how involved you want to be is completely up to you. Draco looked away from the two that looked at him in question. It made him uncomfortable when Potter did that to him. It wasn't the first time, either. He was open about what choices were, and instead of just letting Draco go along with things, gently pressuring him to give a concrete answer. I already told you that I'd be part of this, he said with a hint of an irritation. This is as serious for me as it is for you. I won't be left out. Good. Thank you, Harry responded. We really do appreciate it. Draco's eyes narrowed slightly. He didn't know what to make of Potter. They had quite the history of filled with deep animosity that bordered on utter hatred, but somehow, during the war, they had felt pity for each other's roles. For the first time, they had seen each other as just another person suffering. When the war ended, Draco had been frightened of the fate that awaited him. He had pleaded for people to understand that he hadn't wanted to do those things. He was surprised as much as anyone when Potter had helped him and given him the chance to make amends. Potter hadn't seemed pleased to extend the invitation, and things were tense between them. But he'd never been unkind. Two years later, not only was Potter not unkind, but he acted like he truly wanted to put everything behind him. Malfoy didn't want to dwell on the past, but he wasn't sure what to make of the man that really didn't feel comfortable with the idea of building anything that resembled a friendship. It felt odd just to be civil, but civility certainly felt more comfortable than baseless anger. They just had to get used to one another. So, tomorrow morning at nine, Harry said finally. Do you mind if we meet here again, Hermione? Just before we leave? No, that's fine. Much easier than messing around with the wards at your place, Hermione smiled. I'll work it out soon, though, he said to Malfoy, who was a bit confused as to why this was directed at him. He quickly realized that, though Potter must have some serious wards up considering what a large target he was, he would probably take a bit of work to find a way to let a new person in. And on the same note, we have to take into consideration that we may have to bring the Order of Phoenix in on this at some point. If it looks like we're not making enough progress, we'll need help. The Weasleys will be the first to know, and it might not be long before we discuss some things to them that they already know about Aurelian. "'You mentioned Weasley. Or, uh, Ron,' Draco said uncomfortably. "'Have you told him about... everything?' "'Yes,' Harry replied. "'Ron is a part of this investigation, just not directly.' We don't want to draw too much attention to this, and asking Ron to join in the investigation would have both our superiors asking too many questions. Not to mention, it's nice to have someone looking a small crime. I'm sure we'll appreciate him there. He will be filled in on everything, though. In fact, I plan to go back there when we finished here. So, we have a start now, said Hermione. Malfoy speaks to Pansy, and we go speak with Dennis Creevy. Now, I don't doubt your ability to speak with Parkinson, but I want to remind you that every detail is important. You'll have to be sure to remember everything the best you can and give us everything you've got, Harry told Draco. Draco nodded. Regarding that, should we ever feel that we might be missing anything? If we ever feel a tiny detail might have been overlooked, McGonagall said that she doesn't actually need the pensive right now, and we can borrow it for as long as we need, Hermione informed them. That's perfect, said Harry. So, is there anything else we need to address? Hermione asked. There is plenty needed to be addressed, but we take it one step at a time, Harry answered. Yes, but there is still one thing I need to know, Draco spoke up. What is a horcrux? Harry and Hermione exchanged a look that made Draco feel uneasy. They didn't look like they meant to hide it, but they both looked disquieted simply by its mention, and they looked uncertain about how to approach it. It's dark magic. The darkest magic, Hermione started quietly. See, when a person commits a murder, it's not only a sin against man, it's a sin against nature. It's unnatural. Committing murder damages the soul. It actually rips the soul. There are some dark wizards, very, very few throughout history, as it is so frightening to consider, who take advantage of that damage done to their soul. And instead of just accepting the damage that is done, they force the soul to sever completely in half. They then take half of their soul and store it outside of their body. This way, if they're ever killed and that part of their soul is destroyed, half of their soul still survives. The thing that contains a piece of their soul is called the Horcrux. And what is this thing? What is it that they hide their souls inside? Draco asked. He could tell by the way people had talked about it in his memory that it was a way to keep them from dying, but he'd never imagined how it would be possible once the body was destroyed. It was disconcerting, to say the least. Anything, Harry said simply. It can be anything. And the Dark Lord ugh, Voldemort, Voldemort had one? He probed. No, Harry answered with a hint of annoyance that Malfoy realized was not aimed at himself. Voldemort had seven. What? Draco startled in disbelief. He split his soul into seven? No, he split his soul in half seven times, Harry corrected. He didn't just split his soul, he completely mutilated it, Hermione added in disgust. He was hardly human when he was destroyed. So you had to destroy his horcruxes before you could destroy him. What were they? How did you find them? The entire idea had Draco feeling a bit angry. Well, a horcrux can be made of just about anything, but Voldemort seemed to prefer treasured items. Not many who would go to such lengths would want to stick something as precious as their soul in something like a tin can. Voldemort, or Tom Riddle, didn't have much of the orphanage when he was a child and started the habit of taking trophies for things he felt accomplished with, like a good use of magic or cunning, Harry explained. Wait, what? An orphanage? Draco asked in confusion. Yeah, Hermione replied. Despite how serious he was about pureblood supremacy, he was a half-blood himself. He was the heir of Slytherin and quite proud of it, but his father was a muggle, something he never really shared with people. Anyway, Harry continued, he chose things that he considered great treasures and hid them in places of significance to him. The first one was a diary that he created in seventh year at school. He killed Moaning Myrtle and locked part of his soul in the diary a special diary. It's a long story. But Ginny had the diary, and it possessed her. I destroyed that Horcrux in the Chamber of Secrets before we had any idea what it was. Dumbledore recognized it as something truly dark, though, and began looking into it. He gathered many memories that people had of Tom Riddle. It was in a memory of Slughorns that we realized that he planned to make seven. There was also a ring that was passed down through his family. Dumbledore destroyed that one himself just before we started our sixth year. That is what cursed him and turned his hand black. There was the Slytherin locket. That one has a very long story. It took us months, and it was the reason we broke into the Ministry of Magic. There was Hufflepuff's silver cup. That was in Bellatrix's vault in Gringotts. And there was Ravenclaw's diadem in the Room of Requirement. That's what we were after during the start of the battle. Horcruxes are difficult to destroy. There are very few things that can destroy them. Hermione continued the story. We used basilisk venom for all of them. Most of the time, we used the Sword of Gryffindor because it was imbued with basilisk venom from when Harry destroyed the basilisk. The diadem, though, it was destroyed by fiendfire. But that's only five. What about the other two horcruxes? Draco asked seriously. The last two were challenging in different ways, Hermione said hesitantly. His snake, Nagini, was the last horcrux. It was sort of a last-minute emergency horcrux, I suppose. At the end, he didn't let the snake out of his sight. It was Neville that defeated it. You're still missing one. You said the snake was the last, but what was the sixth? Draco demanded. He felt flustered that they hid something from him. Hermione looked at Harry empathetically, but he just appeared a bit exasperated. Me, he answered. Draco looked utterly confused. It was an accident. He didn't mean for it to happen, and he never even knew it, Harry said with a mirthless smirk. At Draco's confusion, Hermione continued for Harry. When Voldemort tried to kill Harry as a baby, he failed because of the protection Harry had gained when his mother sacrificed herself to try to save him. When he failed, the spell sort of backfired. Because Voldemort's soul was so small and weak and mutilated, the rebounding spell happened to split his soul again. Half of his remaining soul fled, unable to return to its body. The other half was forced into Harry. But how can you still be alive and have destroyed the Horcrux? Draco inquired as he stared at Harry suspiciously. Well, now that's the complicated part, Harry seemed doleful, but still somewhat amused by it. When I learned I was the Horcrux, I was resigned that I was going to have to take one for the team. When he called me out, I went. I went without a fight, and he cast the Killing Curse on me. But that's where the weird part of the Elder Wand comes in. It was because you disarmed Dumbledore. I stole your wand, and Voldemort stole Dumbledore's wand, that Voldemort's new wand would not work against me. But it could still work against him. When he cast the killing curse, it destroyed the piece of his soul inside me, but I survived. Still, I wouldn't be alive today if it weren't for your mother. What? Draco was already reeling with the new information, but it was Harry's confession regarding his mother that threw him the most. Harry wore a small, lopsided smile. I had a feeling that she wouldn't have told you about that. I'm not really sure why. I tell you this not to bring up sore pieces of the past, because I really have forgiven it. But it's partly because of your mother that you were not Azkaban right now. When I was hit with the killing curse, I feigned death. Voldemort asked your mother if I was dead, and she lied to his face. She did it for you. She thought that if I could end it all, you'd be safe. I felt that I owed her after that. You stood up for me because of her, Draco asked bewilderedly. I said it was partly the reason, Harry corrected seriously. Someone also confronted me about where I stood on the matter. They said that I was being unfair, that I was being resentful and vindictive because of a childhood boyhood rivalry." Harry glanced at Hermione out of the corner of his eye. They told me that people believed you were just one of the many who were threatened by Voldemort and acted out of fear. So I decided to give you a chance to prove yourself. And, Draco was somewhat affronted by the way Harry spoke of the events that he wished were fully behind him, he had to remind himself that he had just asked the man to give him these answers. "And I don't regret it," Harry admitted. Draco was still upset about where the conversation had taken them, but he couldn't help but feel proud, and perhaps even a bit arrogant, that Potter could not dispute his decency or integrity. So how did you discover that you were a horcrux? Draco asked in order to find a way back to their previous conversation. The pensive, actually. As most people know, Snake gave me some of his memories before he died, and one of them was a conversation he held with Dumbledore that explained that I would have to die to defeat Voldemort. It all made sense then. And you just accepted that? He asked in disgusted disbelief. What else could I have done? Harry reasoned. You could have told your friends, Hermione responded heatedly as she glared at him in contempt. Harry sighed with exasperation. Hermione, we've been through this. That doesn't mean I've accepted it. It doesn't mean I've forgiven it. After what we've just seen, I am as upset as ever. You did it again, she angrily reminded him. Hermione, Harry started in tired frustration. You did it again, Hermione repeated with greater force. You sacrificed yourself in order to try to defeat someone else. Do you have any idea how much that hurts? Hermione, that wasn't me. That hasn't happened. It won't happen, Harry argued. Maybe not like that, but I have seen that you are still like that. It might not happen like that, but it doesn't mean that something else might not happen where you act the same way. I don't want to keep losing you. You did the same thing, you know, Harry countered. In that pensive, you sacrificed yourself to send Aurelian back in hopes of saving everyone. I don't understand how you could be upset with someone over that. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to love your friends when they're alive, Hermione retorted. Harry sighed and looked away from her. He realized that it was an argument that she would never even try to see from his side. Well, that really depends on the friend now, doesn't it? Malfoy said with a small smirk. Hermione and Harry looked at him in surprise and confusion before what he said really got through to them. They looked at each other and grinned just before Hermione burst into giggles. Harry joined her laughter. You've got a point, he said to Malfoy. Harry chuckled again and looked over at Hermione, whose giggles seemed to have become more intense instead of fading as his had done. Her laughter was contagious and he chuckled again as he watched her. Hermione covered her mouth with her hand, but her laughter just couldn't seem to stop. Geez, Granger, it wasn't supposed to be that funny, Draco smirked. I know, Hermione squealed through her high-pitched girlish giggling. She tried to slow down and took a few breaths so she could speak. I just can't stop. It's like it's all stacked up. She took another few breaths, but they were followed by more giggles. I can't stop. Harry and Draco exchanged amused looks and both wore lopsided smiles as they watched Hermione try to gain control of herself. Geez, did you slip or something, Potter? Draco snickered. Stop, she pleaded as she wiped a tear from her eye. Don't do that. Don't make me laugh. I'm trying to stop. Harry chuckled silently again at his friend. She was usually so composed. It was funny to see her like that, but it felt really good, too. It was true that she didn't laugh enough, and he had hardly seen her smile at all the past couple days. Maybe it had been built up, and Draco's dry wit just happened to be the thing that set her off. Okay, okay, Hermione said, blowing out slow breaths. Every few breaths, a small, tittering laugh would escape, but she really was settling down and getting back her control. I'm sorry, she said, followed by another soft, snorted laugh. Okay, okay, I'm done. She took one last deep breath and blew it out slowly. So, right, we've got to start for today. Malfoy's going to meet with Pansy. We're going to check in on Ron and see what else we can find pertaining to the Parkinson's and the Creevies and look at fugitive Death Eater files. And we meet here tomorrow at nine, right? After a pause, when neither boy answered, Hermione looked at them strangely. "'What?' she asked hesitantly. "'I'm just afraid if I say something, you'll start laughing again,' Malfoy admitted. Harry looked at Malfoy and laughed a bit himself. He had been thinking the same thing, but he hadn't wanted to admit it, for he was certain she would laugh at that. And she did. Hermione rolled her eyes and let out another soft string of giggles. "'Well, I probably would have been fine if you hadn't chosen to bring it up,' though her giggling didn't continue. She still wore a painfully large smile, something that only 20 minutes before would have never thought she'd be capable of for quite a while.